Well, again, if I didn't have a chance to hit you on your way in, uh, not literally hit you, but to hit you with a good morning, um, let me share that good morning with you right now. Um, we are in the second week of this series called Follow. And just a really quick uh, recap, what we're looking at throughout this series is not the coming to faith part necessarily, but what does it look like to follow Jesus with your Christian life after he's changed you, after you've come to faith. And last week we took a look at a guy who decided to follow Jesus with his life. His name was Matthew. Does anyone remember from last week what Matthew's occupation was before disciple? Tax collector, yeah, tax days right here, huh? We love tax collectors. Um, except for Matthew, the, what I would call hatred for tax collectors was very different than our, I guess, uh, dislike for tax collectors because it was something that being a tax collector back then was that you had sort of betrayed your country as you took a, a job with the Roman Empire, and you also betrayed your people in a different way, that you were willing to get rich on the backs of your family and friends by essentially cheating them out of as much as you possibly could. And so God, Jesus, called Matthew to follow, and he did. And guess what he had to do? He had to leave something behind. What he left behind was the old way of living. He left behind his tax-collecting days. And I challenged you at the end of last week to consider... To follow Jesus, what is he currently asking you to leave behind? And most of the time, I would guess, we probably know what it is, at least in part. An activity, an attitude, an action, a priority. What is God calling you right now to leave behind? And I encourage you to, with God's help, do that. Now, whenever someone asks you to do something that's hard, there is this thing in us that wants to kind of get frustrated and upset and think that that person is being, you know, just difficult and all that kind of stuff. And so that's why what we camped out on last week is so important for this entire series. It's this, uh, this truth, that following Jesus is more about relationship and less about requirement. I think as a kid, and I don't think anyone taught me this wrong, I just think it came to, to my mind that I felt like the following Jesus was all about things I had to do or else. And it became often a burden, and there was a God then that just wanted to take away my fun, okay? And I'm not saying that requirement doesn't exist. It does for a Christian, You know, God directs us not with suggestions. He directs us with (laughs) directives, right? But yet it doesn't start with requirement. It starts with relationship. Jesus has done this for me, namely saved me, and now I get to be in relationship with him. And what an amazing opportunity it is to live in that relationship, to follow him. So with that sort of background, we'll get into to part two. If you haven't yet pulled out your colored insert, I'd encourage you to do that, especially if you're in a growth group. By the way, if you're not in a growth group um, but are married or not in a growth group and have friends, which should include all of us, uh, this, these questions are just a great thing to do um, with your friends or with your spouse uh, during the week, even if you're not in a group. How many of you uh, know Howie Mandel? Not personally, but you've heard of him. 
Heard of Hallie Mandel? I've got a picture up here just in case you're not sure uh, who he is. Yeah, so Howie Mandel is known for being an actor, a comedian, and recently like a show host. Uh, he's hosted games like Deal, no De- Deal or No Deal. That's kind of a blast from the past. Most recently, America's Got Talent. And one of the other things that Howie Mandel is known for is mysophobia, which you might think is a fear of mice, and he might have that too. But actually, mysophobia with a Y is a fear of germs. Uh, in fact, his fear of germs is pretty well known. In fact, if you watch him on the shows that he hosts or when he goes to TV, uh, does TV interviews, he, he won't almost ever shake someone's hand in fear of getting germs on his hands, but will do the fist bump. Um, if uh, someone wins on a show... Very rarely will you ever see him give that person a hug. If he ever has any sort of body contact with someone, it's very, very rare and very, very quick. Now, that's the outside of how we see this fear controlling Howie Mandel's wife, but I, not wife, it probably controls his wife too, but what I meant was his life. I dug a little bit more into his life, and there's a lot more, as you might expect, going on beneath the surface. So Howie Mandel has two homes on his property, a big one and a small one. And when anyone in his family gets sick, he goes to and lives in the other home, which again, now really talking about his wife, what an amazing wife that he, she lets him do that, I guess. But he built a whole new home because of this, this fear that consumes him. When he travels, it's a big deal. He bought a private jet, not just because he's rich, but because he could not stand traveling in commercial airlines. It just, his fear of germs consumed him, so now he only travels by private jet. Um, When he goes to a hotel, he won't touch the sheets, the towels, the bedding, anything. Um, Instead, he brings all of his own stuff in sealed plastic bags, uh, his, uh, his makeup person has been instructed that uh, they can, they, when they use a sponge or a brush or whatever they use, I, I normally use sponges, but he might use brush, um, that as soon as they're used, they got to throw them away and use a brand new one every single time. Even his, his haircut isn't just because he looks good being bald or that he has no hair. He actually can grow some hair, but this is the most comfortable for him because otherwise, even with hair, he feels this, this incessant fear that there might be germs and bugs and all that kind of stuff. And so for Howie Mandel, fear just paralyzes him. It consumes him. You have fear of germs? Maybe a little bit. Like, how many of you, you don't need to raise your hand, won't ever touch the handle on a toilet at a public restroom but do the foot thing? I might be the only one, but I do that. I just use my foot on that handle. I don't know who's touched that thing. Um, You know, so there's little things that might get in our brains about certain kind of phobias or fears, but the reality is if you think long enough, I'm guessing there is something, some fear that is, is consuming you. That, that keeps you sometimes up late at night. Um, there can be the, the fear of finances. 
Like, how are we going to make ends meet as the kids get older and they eat more? You know, I might just need to eat less uh, and then there's school and all that. Or will I ever be able to retire? And so you fear the future of finances. There's lots of people have fear of health where they won't even go to the doctor uh, for years and years because they're afraid of what might be told to them, even though the best thing for them to do is to, to go and find out whatever it could be, probably nothing. Um, there's, in our country right now, I just feel, and especially with Christians, there's this obsessant fear about the future of our country. Now, I agree that there should be concern about the future of our country, and, and, and yet fear? I, there's a better reaction than that. We're going to talk about that. It doesn't need to be fear. Um, there's fear of terrorism, there's fear of uh, how a relationship might go or a relationship might end. Kids, you have fears at school or fears of maybe not making friends. And, and the reality is, is that there's so much that we don't know about life. And one of the most common ways to react to the uncertainties of life is fear. Here's our fill-in. That's a, just a truth. That uncertainty around us, and there is uncertainty around all of us, often leads to fear inside of us. So what's around us affects what is in us. Uncertainty around us leads to fear in us. So I'm going to take about five seconds here, and you're not going to have to talk to anyone next to you. Okay, don't worry. I knew you'd fear that, so I'm not going to do that. But I want you just to think for a moment about what is it that you fear. I want you to name it. It might be a big thing, and it's like, right away, you know. It might be a small thing, but in naming your fear, I think God's going to do something with that as we go through the rest of the sermon today, because you're going to be thinking through what I'm talking about through the filter of that fear. What keeps you up at night? What makes you fearful or worried about the future? All right? Let's take about five seconds. It's going to be quick. There's even a blank in your service sermon notes if you want to fill that in. All right. Now, I want you to know that Jesus says something about following him and fear. In fact, one of the commands he gives his disciples the most often is do not fear. Do not fear. <laughs> do not fear. And so today, I want to sort of peer into an occasion where Jesus didn't say, just say, do not fear. He taught them why they didn't need to, all right? Before we get into Matthew chapter 10, or 8, I should say, I want to give you a little bit of uh, background on it. So last week, we established that at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, um, it wasn't a quiet time. Very quickly, there were crowds that would always gather around him. They wanted to see him do miracles. He was a great preacher and teacher. He had a message that was just different than what other spiritual teachers were sharing. So people had an interest in Jesus, and crowds quickly gathered around him. Now, how often and how much of your day do you just like crowds all around you, right? It gets old after a while, and sometimes you just need some quiet time. Celebrities nowadays, you know, if the paparazzi are following them, they get into their, you know, black suburban or, or get on a plane and go to a vacation home in Europe or something like that. Jesus did not have that advantage. 
I mean, he could have run faster, but then they would have just run a little faster too alongside of him, right? What does he do? Where does he go? Well, in the Bible, we see where he goes. Oftentimes, when he was just needing a break, he would get on a boat and go into the middle of the Sea of Galilee, not to fish, but just to have some quiet time. And that is exactly what is happening in our text for today. Jesus and the disciples go into the middle of the Sea of Galilee for some quiet time. The only thing is things are not going to be so quiet, okay? All right, let's look in on chapter 8, beginning with verse 23. So Jesus got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that waves were sweeping or coming into the boat, sweeping over the boat. Now, a couple things I want you to to notice. The first thing is this. This was not a storm that just happened by accident. Because the reality is, is the way it's described by Matthew, because he was on the boat, is that there was no warning, meaning it probably was crystal clear outside and the water was fine. Then all of a sudden, there is a storm, and not just a little storm, a furious storm. Most of the disciples spent most of their life near or on the water because most of them were fishermen. They knew the water. They knew the lake, okay? And yet, we find and see that these disciples were scared. They were afraid. This was not some small storm on this lake. Uh, A little bit about the Sea of Galilee. It's surrounded by hills, uh, bigger than Buck Hill, smaller than the Rockies, but larger hills. And so what would often happen is on this lake that winds, if they ever got in and over the lake, is that they wouldn't be able to quickly go through. They would kind of have almost like a toilet bowl effect, and they would just kind of, the winds bounce back and forth. And so there could be major storms on the Sea of Galilee. This is one of the most major ones that the disciples had ever faced. They're afraid. Where's Jesus? Well, let me tell you. Next verse. Jesus is sleeping. Jesus is sleeping on the boat. Now, we got to talk about this for a second because here's the thing. This is not a Carnival Cruise Line ship. Like, Jesus doesn't have his own cabin somewhere where he's able to get away from things and doesn't even realize there's a, a storm going on. These are small ships, no, usually no decks underneath or anything like that. How in all the world could Jesus be sleeping while this furious storm, the likes of which the disciples had never seen before, is raging? I have two possible explanations. One, Jesus is the soundest sleeper that there's ever been, and, and you know, I can relate. I've had times where I, don't tell anyone this, I fell asleep at my computer, woke up, and I had keys on my forehead <laughs> like that. I mean, I can sleep just about anywhere. I don't know if I could have slept here, okay? I, I doubt it. There's another option. Don't know this to be true or not. I'm speculating. But Matthew thought Jesus was sleeping, but he's doing one of those parent things where you're in the room and you kind of want to just hear what the kids are saying, thinking that you're sleeping. And so you pretend like you're sleeping and then they start talking like, shh, 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 mom, dad is sleeping, shh, shh, shh. And yet you're not because you just want to hear what's going on, right? I think that's probably what was happening here. 
I don't know how Jesus could literally be sleeping on the small little boat with the waves coming into the boat. But Matthew thought he was sleeping. And either way, either way, it doesn't matter because Jesus had a purpose in all of this and a purpose for not waking up. And I'm going to get there in a second, but first of all, I want to ask you, in the midst of your fear, does it ever feel like Jesus is sleeping on you? In the midst of the circumstances that you're facing, does it ever feel as if God is absent? I mean, the the disciples are right there in the boat with Jesus, but he seems absent to them in that moment. You know, this is a very, that is a very dangerous and or faith-strengthening time. Because in the midst of that moment, we can go one of two ways. We can either grab on to Jesus tighter, which I'm going to propose to you is the right thing in just a moment, but oftentimes what happens is we go the other direction. When we feel Jesus is sleeping or absent, we get mad. And we get mad often at him. And we question his love, and we question his plan, Sometimes some of us might even question his existence because how could a God be sleeping in the midst of the circumstances that I'm in? Why doesn't he change the circumstances if he loves me so much, if he's God? You know what Jesus was doing here? He allowed the circumstances to exist and either fake slept or real slept because he knew that through those circumstances he could teach the disciples something that he wouldn't have been able to teach them if he eliminated the circumstances first. Think about that for a moment. The disciples went and woke him up saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Verse 26. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Now, I just got to stop here because this phrase in yellow struck me this week as I was thinking of the context. Why are you so afraid? So just for a moment, I want you to envision what Jesus saw when he woke up from his sleep. He opens his eyes And there's a furious storm going on, the likes of which the disciples probably never saw, okay? Winds are howling. The disciples are drenched and wet. The boat is rocking. Peter and the disciples are probably holding on to the side of the boat so as to not to fall in the boat or or even worse, outside of the boat. The furious storm, as it's described, is raging so much that the disciples are probably having to not speak, um, you know, Lord help us, but instead yelling to get his attention, right? And Jesus wakes up, and he's like, why are you so afraid? And if I were Peter, I'd be like, Jesus, did you have to lead with that question? I mean, look around. Look at the circumstances I'm in. I'm drenched and falling out of the boat, and you're asking me why I'm afraid. But you see, Jesus asks that question of you and me in spite of the circumstances that we're in. 
Jesus sees drenched disciples. He's in the rocking boat. He's probably drenched too. His question wasn't about the circumstances. His question was about fear. I know your circumstances. But why are you afraid? I know what you're going through. I know what you're thinking about the future. I know your concerns. But my question is, why are you afraid? It brings us to this truth that I just want to roll around and have you roll, roll around in your heart and mind. Next, next uh, slide. Uncertainty in life is unavoidable. We always face uncertainty, but fear in life is optional. You and I, to varying degrees, because I know sometimes depression and, and even biological things can, can sort of happen in this whole fear thing, so I'm not being insensitive. I'm just saying to varying degrees for every person, fear is a choice. The storms of life we can't avoid, how we act, how we react, how we feel in the midst of the storm to varying degrees is optional. And then Jesus shows them why. (laughs) Next verse. He got up, rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. So the picture here is that The weather was perfect. They get to the middle of the lake. Out of nowhere comes the furious storm. Jesus gets up and speaks to the rain. Have you ever done that before? I remember a birthday party we were trying to to hold. I was, I don't know if I was speaking to the rain or speaking to God, but I was asking for the rain to stop, okay? It didn't work. Jesus gets up and he rebukes the winds. And it is completely calm. The Greek is there was a great calmness that occurred. This furious storm, I guess the way I picture it, it's like the fire hydrant got turned off and the sea is like glass. Maybe not even a ripple. There is no doubt, because the disciples would have never seen anything like this, of what just happened. The weather patterns didn't just change. Jesus stopped the storm. The men were amazed. They asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves will obey him. And Jesus was teaching them in the midst of, of these circumstances, which, by the way, he not only allowed to happen, he caused the circumstances to teach his followers that when he is with them, they do not need to fear. They do not need to be afraid. My friends, when when you and I, by faith, follow Jesus every day, you have the Savior who calmed the sea with you. You have nothing in your life that Jesus cannot control 
or be in charge of or change. He is absolutely with you and absolutely in charge of your circumstances. So Howie Mandel, (laughs) you hate germs. I hate them too. You can't control that. But you can choose to live without fear and trust that God is more powerful than those germs. And American citizens, especially Christian American citizens, you don't like the direction your country is going, and I don't either. Do the things you can do, but to be afraid? You have the Jesus, the God, who can calm the storm with you. And it doesn't mean that even the United States will be around forever, but it does mean we don't need to be afraid. And with every single fear that we have, we can choose to varying degrees of how we're going to react. And when you follow Jesus, you have the Savior in charge of the storms with you. And you do not need to be afraid. So go home and don't ever be afraid again. Amen. (laughs) Be nice uh, if that were true, right? And the disciples, it's funny because they kept being afraid. In fact, four chapters later, you can look it up, Matthew chapter 14, the disciples are back on the Sea of Galilee. It's like deja vu. And they react to the circumstances with what? Fear. Again, didn't I just teach you this? Didn't you just see me calm the storm? Fear popped up again. Think about the last days of Jesus' life. Got the disciples. And if there was any emotion that could sort of um, encapsulate their feelings, it would be fear. The Romans or the Jewish leaders come to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. The, uh, the disciples run, not because they were training for a marathon, because of the emotion, fear, okay? Um, Peter is, is questioned about Jesus uh, and whether he knows him by a little schoolgirl. Peter responds with the emotion of fear, and he starts calling down curses um, that, I do not know that man, because why? Because he was afraid. Um, Jesus dies. The disciples go and huddle in a room, uh, not because they had growth group time going on, but because they needed, they locked the door because they were afraid. Fear, 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 fear. See it all over the place. But then there's this thing that happens, that after Easter, the disciples become, and history tells us this, some of the, the most brave people who've ever lived. In fact, the whole Christian church in the first and second centuries goes through far more than we have or probably ever will face, and yet they react not with fear, but with confidence and bravery. How did that happen? And if the the calming of the storm didn't work, what did work for the disciples? I'll tell you what. Jesus had promised that he would take away death by crushing it on the cross and through his resurrection. And the disciples saw Jesus die. And what changed them is saw, they saw him alive again. And if Jesus Christ can defeat death in his own life, 
there must be something to this whole salvation thing, and I'm not going to fear death because his resurrection is proof of my resurrection. And Jesus took away the fear of death and it made a huge difference for the disciples in all the other little fears that they faced. In fact, there was a, a Christian in the first century. His name was Paul. I love how he writes in this section. This is probably, uh, is this the next slide, Kurt? Next one? Yes, thank you. Paul writes, as he's facing the possibility of his death, he writes, for me to live is Christ. What he means by that is, if I go on living my life on earth, that's a blessing. But to die is better. To die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. I, basically, I'm not going to waste it. I'm going to make a difference as long as I'm here on earth. Yet, what shall I choose? And I'd be like, and maybe you too, like, I choose to live. I choose to stay here. That's how most people react, right? <laughs> Paul says, I don't know. I had the choice. Hmm. Next verse. I'm torn. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. <laughs> so basically what he's saying is, I had to choose. I choose dying right now. I want to go home to be with Jesus. I have confidence that that's what will happen, but it is more necessary that I remain in the body. More than likely, I'm going to stay living right now. But my preference is to go home to heaven. <laughs> Do you know we have something in common? We have a lot of things in common, but every single one of us here and everywhere has this basic pattern to our existence. It's three parts. The first one is this. We live our lives. And for some of us, that's a long time. For some of us, that's a short time. For some of us, that's a, a medium portion of time. But for all of us, unless Jesus returns first, eventually we'll get to part two. We die. Our earthly life does not last forever. And after that, all people, whether believers or unbelievers, will enter eternity. One of two places. One of two places. And while this is to varying degrees, these things are true for all of us. The only thing is, for some of us, this is shorter or this is longer. Some of us don't have layovers on this one. We get a direct flight here, okay, at 20 years old or 10 years old or 40 years old or whatever, okay? It's a direct flight, a quick flight. That's the only difference in all of us by faith in Jesus. And so with that in mind... That Jesus, through his death and resurrection, is taking the sting, the fear out of death. The reality for all of our fears is our last fill-in. When your fear of death is defeated, fear is defeated. At least a little bit more. When you recognize that the biggest thing people fear is gone and that you might fear, all the other fears become just a little bit smaller maybe a lot bit smaller. And that's what happened to the Christian church after the first century as they followed Jesus. That's the reality when you and I follow the one who can calm the storms and raise the dead.
Last little story to wrap it up. A few years ago, I, uh, we took our kids to a water park. Uh, my youngest daughter was about five at the time, and so uh, I stayed back uh, where the safety is uh, by the lawn chairs and the towels and stuff, okay? And, and, uh, and my youngest, Addie, went uh, into the shallow part of the wave pool. She was there for about 15 minutes or so, and she comes running back to me and is like, Dad, 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 Dad. Yeah, okay. She's excited about something. I want to show you something I can do. And so as a good dad does, I went to see this amazing thing that she could do. She said, Dad, watch. I can put my head in the water. And so she pinched her nose shut, and she pulled back her hair, and she did one of these, and it really was just her face in the water, not her whole head, but, you know, as a proud dad should do. Yes, great job, Addie. And I acted so proud of her, and I acted as if I had never seen her do that before. But I had. You know when? Five minutes earlier. You know how? She thought that I was not with her. There's no way that a loving father would allow their five-year-old daughter to be in a big old wave pool all by themselves. And so I may not have been physically there, but I was watching her. And if something happened, you can bet I would have been right there. Right now, in the midst of your circumstances, you may not see God. I know you don't. But he is with you. He's guarding you. He loves you. He can calm the storm. He can raise the dead. And when you follow, we can follow fearlessly. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you.